Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the Iron Brew Podcasting Conversation Series. Brad Mel, Matt Blanchard for this one. And today we're talking to the man that propelled us to Wembley Stadium, Gareth Sheldon. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, guys. How are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Uh, let's start right at the beginning then. So... West Brom as a kid. So how is it that you ended up in the Scunthorpe Youth Settle? Uh, well, it all started off, I used to play in the Wednesday Night Floodlit League with West Brom. Um, I did quite well, scored a few goals. And uh, when it came to picking YTS, they had far too many strikers. And all of a sudden, I, I thought, yeah, that's me done, I'm leaving. And then I get a phone call from uh, Willow, Paul Wilson, the, the manager, saying that Scunthorpe, who was apparently a parent club to West Brom back in the day, said uh, they've got a reserve game at Warsaw and would I like to go from, well, well my house in Smedic, where, where, where I live with my parents, over to Bescott, which took about 15 minutes to go and have a game. So I went over and just joined in. And then it was from there you were offered a trial at the club. Um, were you on trial with the youth side or was that the a bit of the first team as well? No, I was only 15. Uh, well, just coming 16, I think I was, and uh, they they said come and have a week's trial with the youth team. So I'll get on with the the actual training of the day to day because I was only training like once a week. So uh, I came over and yeah, we it all blossomed from there really. Yeah, and you mentioned Paul Wilson just then. Obviously, he's in charge of that youth setup. He's developed a good number of players over the years. So what was your relationship like with him, and and how was he like to play under? Oh, he was unbelievable. Um, he was uh, everywhere we went, like training wise, we ran everywhere. So our team was. Probably one of the fittest U teams around, really, considering, um, you know, we only we trained uh, up at John Leggett College. So we had to run up that massive hill. I can't remember what it's called now. Um, mm-hmm. But we had, to, we had to run to train every day, which was like, I think it was like one and a half, two miles, I think it was, and then run back. All being well that we've trained well enough, otherwise we'll be around the ground and we're doing 60-second laps around, the, around Glanny Park. And were Brian Laws, Matt Lillis, were they involved at all? Did they come and watch kind of youth team games? They watched every home game we played. They Both of them were there. It was, it was good. They didn't come into the change room at any point, but it was, you knew they were there. And that kind of like, me being a young kid at the time, I, I played with no fear. So it didn't really bother me who was watching me. I just wanted to play football. I wanted to do it as, as the best as I possibly could. Did you think that was quite a good thing then because you could obviously showcase your talents to the manager? It was It was not like a, there wasn't a disconnect between the youth set-up and the, the first team. Oh, no, no. The, the first team and the and the youth team, we all, we was always together uh, at some point during the week anyway. If the uh, first team had a game on a Tuesday night, on a Monday we'd have a practice game. So they do all the set pieces and, you know, all the stuff. That, so basically they bombard you with crosses and God knows what else. And you just had to defend it. And sometimes we had to go on the, on the attack ourselves. And unfortunately, uh, Sean McCauley came to the brunt of, <laughs> came to the sum of the brunt of my, my play at one point because I, <laughs> I was obviously just didn't care who was playing against. I was, I was young. I was naive really, but I was, I was dynamic and I was, I was quick. So I was all right. 
Yeah, and it paid off because you make your debut in uh, in the last game of the season in the 97-98 season. Uh, you're a second-half substitute for Jamie Forrester. So what was that feeling like to make your professional debut? In all fairness, uh, I remember like sitting on the bench and I was petrified, thinking, oh, I don't want to give the ball away. When I go- if I go on, I don't want to give the ball away. I don't want to... I don't want to make myself look silly, but I managed to get on. And or, as soon as you walk on the pitch and the noise from the from the crowd, it, you, you just forget everything and everything, it just comes plain sailing. You're just going out there. In the end, I treat it like a like a training session, as it were. So I was with the with the, the main players, but I was I was getting involved. So would you say it was definitely the right decision to leave West Brom then when you did? Oh, yeah. It was, it was going to leave anyway. And it was at a point, uh, at that point, it was either go back to school and maybe call around and have trials but as soon as they said to me that would you like to come and have a week with us and see how you do I never went back to school that was it that was that was, I didn't need I didn't need any more encouragement really and that season we obviously missed out on the playoffs I think it was a point in the end um, yeah, what was yeah. what, what was the feeling like at the club obviously being so close just missing out um, was it disappointing or was it kind of a sense that we can build for next season and really give uh, it I think, a good I think with the likes of um, just before I made my debut uh, Nath Stanton made a few few appearances. Uh, Gravesy made a few appearances. So it was it was in good stead really because we were still playing for the youth team, but we were training with the first team. So we were getting the experience of the older boys like like Dave Doria, um, um, Steve Alsham, uh, Walshy, all those. Obviously Chris Open, uh, Russ Wilcox. They were they were massive when it was time to come into the first team because they. They took you in and they nurtured you, really. So when you got on um, in that game at the end of the previous season, I'm, I'm assuming you probably thought that perhaps next season this is the one going to sort of make make a claim for yourself. You only literally make 14 appearances in that one. You have to wait until January of 1999 until you get your second appearances. Was that how did that sort of uh, affect your mind? I guess, but also, uh, but also, was it was it frustrating given the fact that, that you had got on at the end of that previous season? No, no, I. I, I... The way I saw it was that uh, I needed to improve. They they never said that I needed to improve, but in my own eyes, I needed to improve in my game because my left foot wasn't as strong. I wasn't that good in the air, but I needed to learn the game, and that's where Willow came in because Willow was a forward himself at Yeovil, and I had to learn the basics of how to get my body in the positions of how to hold the ball up and stuff. And, and then when I got into the first team, like training with the first team, I had the likes of uh, Big Johnny Gale, who was from my neck of the woods anyway, so it was... It was like a home from home, really. Obviously, my my thick Brummy accent when I'm in the changing room, and then obviously I hear his change his accent in the changing room. So it kind of makes you feel a little bit at ease. Yeah, you mentioned Johnny Gale there. Let's talk about a bit, a few more of those players. Um, you know, the front three, if you like, Gale, Air, and Forrester. How good were they that season? Unbelievable. Uh, Jamie Forrester and John Air were like unsung heroes, really. Johnny, uh, he didn't really speak much. In all fairness, not to the, not to the younger lads anyway. He was more of a more he kept himself to the older kind of players. But him, Jamie Forrester, did a lot of lot of the the dog the donkey work. And obviously, Big Johnny Gale was just a bruiser. You you, you know from yourselves, you've you've seen him play, and he was just a battering man. So basically, all the stuff that went on, it was those three were really good. And for me to come into the team knowing that I've got to try and be better than maybe not so much John Gale because I weren't, I weren't a focal number nine by then. It was, it was more of a, a wider forward. So the Johnny Air and Jamie Forrester, I had to pretty much go to the next level to try and 
be where they were. Now your first goal for the club comes in a, a one nil win at South End. Can you remember that? Can you talk us through uh, it if you can? Yeah, I can remember. It was a uh, a long throw from uh, Richard Logan because he used to complain he used to have bad backs all the time when you could throw the ball half a mile. So <laughs> it was uh, one of them. He threw it into the box. Um, big Johnny Gale chested it down and I hit it on the volley and he went straight in the corner. And I remember running the full length of the pitch to the Scunny fans behind the goal with a big fence up, jumping on the fence, going nuts. And I remember, I remember that clearly. I can, I'll never forget that day. And you played in a few games, kind of up until the playoffs, but that that Swansea first leg, obviously at that time you could only have three subs on the bench. Yeah. You weren't included. Did you travel or were you just... Yeah, uh, uh, two days prior to the game, he was he called me in his office and him and Mark Lillis himself said that I might have a chance of starting. All I need to do is be prepared, make sure I prepare myself properly, eat properly, sleep properly, and I'll be travelling along. And when we got to... Uh, the ground, uh, I think it was the night before we stayed over, um, he said, we're not going to put you on. Uh, on the, in, you're not in the squad, but you're here with the team. Um, embrace it, really, because it's obviously a big occasion. And just see how the, how the players prepare themselves and, excuse me, and then just go from there. How did you feel about that, being told that you weren't going to start? No, I weren't. I, 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 I weren't too bothered, in all fairness. Um, it sounds really bad. Uh, football, yeah, I was passionate about playing football, but I knew there was there was a bigger agenda. And obviously, losing the game one nil, uh, the atmosphere was at the vet was horrific because I had to sit in all, amongst all the Swansea fans. It's it's not good. And like going in the change room um, at the end of the game, I expected a massive fireworks firework display from uh, the gaffer, but he uh, he weren't he weren't that bad. He just said they've got to come to our place now and. We don't get beat at home, and that's the way we saw it. And the way we played at home, towards the end of the season, we were we were quite frightening. Yeah, I mean, we obviously lost one nil there, and as you say, really intimidating place to go. Did we kind of consider that as a decent result, just getting away with a with a one nil, given our home record, given the fact we were really strong at home? Yeah, considering we had chances in the game as well, we could have. Uh, I think we had a. Uh, I think it might have been hoping he had a header from a corner towards the end, which the keeper managed to save. But we knew if the way we played at home, like because we were we were more attacking like at home, we were more defensive when we was away. But yeah, when we was at home, we we just we went for the game. We had nothing to lose really, so we just went out there and obviously, luckily, it came off in the end. Mm. Yeah, so let's talk about that home game then. So what was the build up like in the in the run up to it? How, was the approach different to the away tie? How how did that go? Yeah, the, the training was more. Obviously, without the tra- travelling all the way to Wales, it was it was better for us. So we we get to, a chance to prepare on our on our pitch. So we trained a few days. I think it was two days prior to the game on the on the actual uh, home pitch, and you get you you sort you kind of get the feel of what's what's going to be what it's going to be like. I for one didn't expect to see that many people in the ground that day. Um, I remember playing in front of them uh, a few. A few like five thousand, maybe six thousand every now and then. But when you walk out on that on that match day that night, and the whole stadium was full, seat to seat, all the way around, arm to arm, it was unbelievable. Yeah, and obviously, yeah, for that game, you did manage to make the bench. Um, what was the thinking there? Did you know? Did Larsy pull you and have a word with you and kind of explain why you were going to be on the bench? Yeah, all three of them did. Uh, uh, Willow pulled me and said, um, "I'm going to be on the bench, so I need to." start thinking about how I'm going to 
be able to affect the game because no one else can affect it apart from myself. Uh, I remember when uh, the gaffer pulled me in the office, he, he said, um, we took you all the way to Swansea. He said, but now this is your chance. He says, you're going to be on the bench. And he said, at some point, they know nothing about you. So, but I know what you like. And if things go according to plan and things going out, in, if we score early and we get a chance, you could be the difference. And, you know, luckily, uh, Daw scored an absolute worldie from, I don't know, 25 yards after about three seconds or something. He was early on in the game. I remember that. But yeah, it, it, it was a, a, a very much enjoyable day. You mentioned that uh, 1-0 was, in, in retrospect, quite a good result to take into Glanford Park and that you were fairly confident at home. Um, I guess the question is, did, did you and did the team think that you had enough to overturn that 1-0 scoreline with it being at home? Not just me personally, the whole the whole squad, the whole uh, 20 of us or whatever many of us in, in that change room that day, we knew that when push comes to shove, we were, we were the better team. Because I think previous in the, in the league, we beat them at home anyway. So we already had that advantage knowing that we'd already beat them here. Uh, sorry, at Granny Park. So when any team that came, whoever we would have faced that day, I think we'd have won anyway. Yeah, you kind of touched on the atmosphere there. What was it like pre-match, you know, when you were on the on the pitch warming up and sort of in the dressing room as well? How did Lawsy get everyone up for it? He used to do a, new, a number, number of things, really. He used to, some players that needed to be like, Shouted at, shook. Um, used to put their hands on their shoulders. Used to give you a cuddle. Some of the sides of the, of the manager people never saw, but with me personally, he'd put his arm around me and he'd say, "Today's your day." Uh, regardless if I got on the pitch or not, he'd always make me feel like I'm going to be the one that's going to turn this around. So onto the game itself. Then you mentioned just then that Andy Dawson scores early on, and it is it's in the second minute of the game. What are the thoughts going through your head there? Does it does something like that calm the nerves or does it add more pressure? Yeah, it, it calmed the nerves massively. When he, I remember when he received it, I think he got it from Justin Walker and he, he just, like a slap shot and it went straight in the corner. I remember the, the relief on on the bench especially and all the fans that are beyond the, the, the dugout that day that you could sense that, oh, here we go, now it's, now it's back, it's an even playing field, now we can we can build on this and then we can do more if possible and and like I said before luckily it, it, it paid off Yeah and obviously Lawsy throws you on towards the end of the 90 minutes the ties kind of finally balanced one apiece um, was it kind of more, more of the same from Lawsy so you, you can change this game you can get the goal to kind of take us through uh, with, Without sounding <laughs> he said <laughs> it's up to you youngster you fucking got this excuse my language uh, he, he said this, he said, whenever you get a chance, he says, don't be scared, take a shot. And luckily, uh, the ball fell to me from uh, big Johnny G again. And uh, I managed to stick it in. Yeah, and let's talk about that goal then, because obviously it goes into extra time and it's on 92 minutes that you score. You mentioned there, Gail's the one that tees you up and it's, it's a great strike. So maybe talk through what you're thinking at that moment when it goes in as well. Just hit it as clean as I possibly can. When, when the ball, uh, when he was holding it up and he like teed it off, I only had a, a, a small margin to aim for. So I thought if I just hit it as clean and as hard as I possibly can, I don't think he'd have saved it. And like, look at it, he went straight in the goal. And then euphoria. It was one of the best feelings I've ever felt. So I ran over to the crowd mm. and I remember like, someone was like pulling my hair and, I don't know, kissing me on the cheek. It, it, it's just all the things that you dream of as a lad. 
yeah, obviously a few, few, well, not long after, they obviously scored to level it. Uh, that must have been a bit def- deflating in a way. Um, and I suppose a goal like that, because p- p- it was really scrappy as well, a goal like that could b- maybe swing the, the balance of the tie. Um, personally, did you still feel confident we had enough to, to get that next goal and, and uh, go through? Yeah, I was a little bit miffed, to be honest, because I was on the line when the ball looped up, I was on the line that tried to head it away and it went in the corner right behind me. So, in a sense, I felt responsible for that because that was my job. But it, it spurred me on because then after that, I, I don't think I stopped running until... I didn't even stop running when even when the final whistle went because obviously the crowd was running on, so it was one of those things. Well, let's talk about the next one then because it's 102 minutes in. I think Dawes is the one who whips the cross in and then you get another one. So, what, t- talk us through that one. Well... Uh, what I remember is in training, we always used to do crossing and shooting all the time and they always used to say, you need to break the front line. If you break the first man, you'll always have a chance. If you get a nick on the ball, it can always go in. And I remember just running into the box and as the balls came in, it was a, a nice height. I just opened my body out and managed to get a little touch on it and it managed to go in the corner. And like, like before, it, the, the feeling of uh, ecstasy really, I've just gone like on cloud nine straight away. Did you feel at that time that that was enough to do it? Yeah, I, I thought as soon as that went in, there's there's no way in hell that we're going to let this this game slide. Yeah, I mean for me that's probably one of my top Glanford Park moments. Just the the crowd reaction, you know, it was it was amazing. But no word of a lie, my sister was at the game. She was only young at the time, and she slept through the whole of the extra time, which I, I find amazing. <laughs> the atmosphere was incredible to to sleep through that. Crazy, but. Um, Obviously, a couple of minutes after that, John Ayres sent off um, as as a group and then collectively. What are you thinking there? You're thinking, oh my God, you know, we've still got 10 minutes to play or whatever it was. Um, that was like, uh, yeah, it was backs to the wall straight away. He said, right, you've, he shoved me a bit further back. He said, we're going to play uh, Johnny up front on his own and we just chased the ball down. And I just remember going through another lease of life and just basically trying to run through everything to try and, stop them from scoring and it, 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 our history says it all, doesn't it? Yeah, and obviously, like you say, we've got the result. And then talk about some of those initial celebrations straight after, because obviously there's the, the pitch invasion and, and then what's it like in the dressing room at full time after that as well? well? I remember as soon as the final whistle went and we were bombarded by all the Scunny fans. I remember getting picked up by two blokes, two big burly blokes just threw me on top of their shoulders and they were throwing me around like a rag doll. Um, when we finally managed to get into the into the uh, the changing rooms, it was it was like some out of a rave. Everyone, the music was blaring. There was champagne being thrown over everybody. We was all pretty much cuddling each other. And then we went back into the stands uh, with the fans. And I remember Chrissy Oak pushing me to the front and hoisting my hands in the air. Uh, I, I'll, I'll never forget that. We had a text in actually from Andy Ripley and he said, at the final whistle, did you remember Brian Law's racing on and telling you that you're fucking beautiful and had a fantastic <laughs> feature? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think there was a few more choice words said than that, but yeah. He, he, he said that you, I remember him saying, you, he said, you, my son, you've got a fantastic future ahead of you. So I pretty much owe everything that I've done through my whole football career to Paul Wilson and, uh, and Brian Law's. Uh, and after that game, there were some rumours that the, there were some other clubs looking at you. Uh, I think Newcastle was one of them. To your knowledge, was there any truth in that? Yeah, Newcastle uh, Newcastle put a £100,000 retainer on me. 
uh, and Leeds Leeds United were in as well. There was there was two teams. Yeah, good memories. <laughs> good memories <laughs> of having two big clubs because at the time Leeds I think managed to get to the semi final of the Champions League that year. And then obviously prior to the Wembley um, the Wembley game, Brian decided to take her on to Dublin. Um, was, there much, was there much training going on, or was there quite a bit uh, of drinking going there was, on? There was, there was, as a young lad, and not really drinking much. Yeah, that was an eye opener, <laughs> to, to say the least. To go over there and and see what the lads are like out of football. Yeah, it was, it was really good because obviously being the being the young one in the team, and uh, I think Tommy Tommy Evans at the time was probably the next oldest. Yeah, it might have been actually. And then yeah, it was like I used to just latch onto Tommy and. Uh, Alex Alex Garcia, obviously he never drank much either. So I was in I was in good partners there. So every time we had a drink, it was I was with those guys. Uh, let's talk about Wembley then, because obviously a young player at the time. What are your first impressions of the place? I mean, we we've spoken to Brian Laws about it, and obviously everybody knows the story about him playing the the atmosphere over the yeah. sound speakers. What what was that like to experience? When you when we first got there, um, obviously it was it was empty. Uh, we knew what changing room we were going to have, so we got a feel of where, what we were going to be doing in the changing room and stuff. And then we walked up the. At that time, it was like a, a concrete, like slope. So we walked up the slope, and then as we walked out, all the boys together, uh, a massive roar came upon the tunnel, and I think it was from when uh, Lawsy played in the FA Cup final, if I remember rightly. And uh, yeah, it was it was it was like wow. That's when it finally sunk in that obviously there's no people in the seats, but the atmosphere is going to be unbelievable. And as we've kind of mentioned, you were in and out of the side um, up until that playoff semi final, but then you're kind of the hero on the night and Lawsy gives you a start. Um, You must have been buzzing. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST that given you know what happened in the semi-final you must have been going into that game with a massive amount of confidence yeah there was uh it was on and in whether he was going to play Gary Ball when we trained we trained on Glenny Park previous and he, he pulled me aside and he says oh, I you know the situation with um what happened with Johnny Air and I said yeah he said he's suspended and there's one place up for grabs isn't he? and he, he just says are you you going to be more than capable enough to do it and I said no one would beat me on this game. It's. I remember saying, saying to uh, I think it was Willow and Lawsy that there's no one better than me on that football pitch, and there might have been, but it was just the confidence I had as a kid, and I just said if Pele was stood there, I'll walk on that pitch. I'm better than Pele, and that's the way it's going to be. 
So luckily, I started. So it was it, it worked out quite well in the end. <laughs> uh, what was Lawsy's uh, attitude towards the team as a whole? What was the game plan? Because we've spoken to him uh, as I just mentioned. And he said he said to us that he knew where we were going to win. Was that something he conveyed to the team? Yeah, pretty much. He he said because we beat Leighton Orient, I think, at their place and at home. I'm pretty sure we did actually. I could be wrong, but I remember he, him saying. Uh, saying to me that Matty Lockwood, their left back, he said he's he's their main threat. And because I was playing on the right-hand side of the three, he just said, he ain't going to know what's hitting with you because you just don't stop. You like, I remember him calling me a Duracell battery. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just said, you don't stop. And he said, don't give him a minute's piece. This is a big pitch. You're fitter than him. Just make him, make him collapse. And then in the end... He didn't even come down his side. He was down the opposite side where I got the ball and obviously managed to do a little bit for Alex. Yeah, obviously talk us through that goal then. You've got a massive part to play in it. And uh, we had a message actually from someone that's saying you were kind of maybe a forgotten hero, if you like, because everyone remembers the goal. Not everyone potentially remembers the cross. Well, you know, you know what? It's a, it's a team game. It weren't all about um, individuals, really. But yeah, I'd, 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 I'd take that, yeah. <laughs> unsung hero oh yeah I'll take that I'll forget on hero yeah I'll take it so obviously uh, Alex Carvagossi of course gets the goal which we all know about uh, what was your relationship like with Alex have you got any sort of memories of, of him uh, in particular yeah he, he was an unbelievable gentleman he was such a nice bloke I, I played snooker with him probably three times a week after training uh, I, I got really close with Alex um, I, I admired the way he played the game how simple he made the game look the man was an unbelievable his touch was fantastic. And you could tell that he weren't really a striker because he used to always drop a bit further deeper than normal, than normal, like a normal number 10 would. He drops a bit further back and he seems to pick up those pockets of space. And it worked quite well with uh, Justin Walker and Paul Arsley. And they, they seemed to like rub off on each other. I remember saying to young Scotty Bruff, he was in the youth team at the time, that I said, you, because he played kind of like centre midfield, I said, you need to watch him because he glides across the grass he don't very rarely puts a foot wrong and he always has a knack of finding the net when he needs to uh, let's talk about about the, the game then again because obviously we get the results uh, what, what is that like at the end when the, the full time whistle goes for that game and then also what does play, uh, promotion in general mean to the players after that one well we worked we worked really hard and we knew that before the game that the rewards were going to be massive and for a, a town like Scunthorpe to get promoted at that time, it was another it was another big thing. So when that final whistle went, I remember Big John Gal grabbing me, pretty much body slamming me to the floor, and he says, "Yeah, we've fucking done it." And then I've grabbed Alex, and then I remember Timmy Tim Clark jumping on us, Tommy Evans. There's a camera in my face, and I'm just swearing like mad. And I re- I remember afterwards watching it back with my parents at that time. And they're saying, oh, you're, you're so foul-mouthed, it's, it's frightening. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, after that game, well, into that summer, there's obviously a big disappointment for the fans when Johnny Eyre and Jamie Forrester left the club. Uh, obviously, they were two massive players in that season, scored loads yeah. of goals. Um, were you disappointed by that? Or did you see that as an opportunity to kind of make a claim for, for a place in, in uh, Division 2? Yeah, there was um, at that time, we knew that Johnny Eyre was leaving. And there were contract talks with uh, Jamie Forrester were ongoing. I'd have liked Jamie to stay because he was he was more like a player like I was. Um, 
I used to think I was like a clever kind of player and like managed to get goals out of nothing. And I remember Jamie doing that time after time. But when he left, then I also, I didn't I just thought to myself, yeah, well now it's my time to step up. They've left. There's a big there's a big gap, and I can fill in. I filled in for Johnny Johnny Air before, so maybe I can do it again. Yeah, and um, obviously it's you do get more appearances into the next season, into that 99-2001. You get 26 appearances, actually. And it is a tough season. Obviously, there's the relegation, which we'll come on to, I think, in a minute. Uh, but yeah. what was that one like for you in the team a bit more regularly? Yeah, it was good because I, I was training. I wasn't training with the youth team anymore. I was, uh, I, was a, uh, I remember signing the, the two-year contract to be a first-team player. I got given a squad number, uh, number 16, I think it was. And, or it was number nine, I can't, I can't quite remember. It, that that boosts you in itself. So when you walk in and you you walk into the changing room at Glenny Park and you you've got your own peg with your name on it and your boots were already there, you've got the youth team lads coming in to clean your boots because that's what I did when I first went there with Mark Satori and Ian Ormondroyd. That was my two players, the two biggest feet in the world, and I could fit my arm in them. I remember I remember it clearly. We mentioned earlier on about Newcastle and Leeds showing a bit of interest in you. Were you a bit yeah. disappointed that nothing happened that summer or were you keen to kind of get your head down and prove yourself at the next level? No, because of what happened with the injury at Shrewsbury, that sort of dampened the move because obviously they wanted a player that's like a clean bit of health and I never I never really had any injuries up to then. And then to, to, to break my leg, it was... Uh, yeah, it was a bit naughty, really. So, obviously, as we just mentioned, it is a bit of a tough season. We've talked about those players moving on. Do you think it was uh, the reason why we struggled, or certainly one of the reasons why we struggled, is it was the case that we didn't actually replace the, those players that left? It's kind of odd, really, because we, we went in without really recruiting a lot of players. And we, we thought we could get ourselves, if we had our same fight and a bit of determination that we'd get out of it, ourselves but yeah I think maybe we should have invested a bit better that year for us to stay in the league Was that just the aim then as we're going up to that level just to stay in the league or did... did yeah the aim, the aim was uh, anything above the relegation zone is good for the club because we can build on it for the future but unfortunately Alex broke his leg I think uh, it was a was it a Reading maybe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Might, have been, might have been Reading I think he broke his leg and that sort of Kind of put us on a on a on a bit of a downward spiral, really, because we had, we had I think a couple of players on loan, and it weren't quite the same. The dynamics of the team kind of changed. So, given the promotion of the season previously, uh, you know how deflating was it to be relegated straight away? And you've already touched on a few of them, but what what do you think was the sort of real reasons as to why that happened? I just think our home form was really poor. Um, normally, when when teams come to Glenny Park, they're they're intimidated by the crowd being so close to the pitch and and stuff like that. But we didn't really capitalise on any of that. Yeah, so moving into the next season, and it's it's the first season that you pretty much start every game. Um, yeah, I play every one, I think. A yeah. bar couple. Yeah, and obviously um, there's we've got quite a few strikers across that season. Obviously, Torps is there, Brian Quayle is there. Um, and then obviously, Gear and Martin Carruthers towards the back end of that one. Oh, um, brilliant, yeah. Yeah, talk us through some of those players. Who did you enjoy playing with, and um, you know, out of that kind of four? Well, because I remember, I remember that year, uh, Nigel Pepper came in as the captain um, with uh, Brad, Carl Bradshaw, and I remember uh, we saying we're going to change the, the the way we play, and he's going to play me as a wide man. 
And I remember um, uh, Pete, oh, I can't remember his surname, Pete from Bolton. Morrison. I was the right, yeah, yeah that's it. He, he, he was out wide, I was out wide. In the middle was um, Gravesy uh, and Peps in the middle. And I remember him saying, what we're going to do, because the way Torps is playing, Torps is a really good header of the ball. Every chance we get, we put balls in the box, balls in the box. Uh, when the ball's on the one side, we have to come making the, like the second striker or the third striker. And that's the way we're going to play. And luckily enough, with with Torps, uh, Gandhi, Gandhi was there as well. Gandhi was quality. Martin Carruthers, they both knew where the net was. And Torps scored quite a, a heck of a lot of goals from us being out wide. Uh, let's talk about the FA Cup, because that's another thing that Brian Laws has pride himself on. You need a good cup run as a team. Yeah. And you get there's a couple that Scunthorpe go on that. That one that year, of course, uh, playing against Burnley. So they scored that uh, that that goal in, in however many minutes it is nine or ten minutes added time, isn't it? To take it back to yeah. so that's two all. What what were we thinking on that one? We thought we got done. In all fairness, um, I remember Lawsy getting fined at some point. I think for that, saying to the ref that he, he was a, a fucking cheat or something, <laughs> something or, or something on them lines. But probably in, in Lawsy's fashion, it was a bit more. But yeah. We we the we thought we deserved to beat them. Yeah, obviously they were. They were, I think were they one division or two divisions higher? I don't know if they two were, division, two yeah, divisions yeah. higher. Yeah. And then obviously bring them back to Glanford Park, and uh, that's another great night. Um, winning on penalties, and Tommy Evans was fantastic that night, wasn't he? Yeah, that, I think that was. Uh, I think Tommy had like took himself to the next level of of him being a goalkeeper for Scunny that year. He um, he was really good, and penalties is, was his thing because. All the time in training, he was saving penalties all over the place. So it was it was nothing less than the norm, really. Uh, just as a, as a bit of a general one, then what what are your thoughts uh, in regards to a penalty shootout? You know, in terms of an outfield player, do you do you have to put yourself up for uh, for one straight away, or is, was that something that was part of your game or not? Yeah, I was uh, I was always one for wanting to take a penalty, but whether they picked you or not was a another thing. Uh, I was I remember Andy Dawson scoring the winning pen, but I was the next one, so. It was it was one of those, and because we won that one, we obviously got Bolton uh, Premier League, and unfortunately, that's that's we got not great, yeah, not a great afternoon. Um, what are your kind of memories of that game? The pitch was horrific; it was full of sand. Uh, but yeah, I remember Dean. I think Dean Oldsworth scored that trick that day. Yeah, um, you could tell that the difference in 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 the in the leagues of how quick and how clever they were, even though the the pitch. At that specific time, wasn't the best. I've still got, I've still got a few, a few pictures around of the FA Cup games, and yeah, it was some, some good ones. So in that, in the squad in that year, uh, there's, there's quite a lot of homegrown players. We've mentioned a few of them: you know, uh, Stanton, there's Harsley, Sparrow as well. Graves, you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, so how important was it? Do you think, I suppose, a club like Scunthorpe to have those homegrown players in there? And then, do you think some of those lads that coming through could have gone a bit further? Yeah, I thought I thought Stano was an outstanding defender. Mm. Um, he was a much better right back than he was a centre back because uh, he he had considering he had a big ass. He had he was one of the fastest kids I've ever met. <laughs> yeah, he he probably won't like me for saying that, but yeah, yeah, he, um, he he had he had like a massive backside, massive legs, and he used them to good advantage. Because when it comes to sprints, there was not many people, not even Gravesy, and Gravesy was rapid to, to could go past him. 
And then obviously those players you, you mentioned there, maybe Stanton could have gone further. Do you think you could have made, potentially gone further? Was there any regret there that you never got any higher than that kind of um, Division 2? I think I could have made it all the way. But injuries and sounds a bit bitter. But if he didn't smash me that day for no apparent reason, I think I could have, I could have made a difference. But it's one of those things. I, I have no regrets. I never have in football. I've met a, I've met a lot of, met a, a lot of good good people, and yeah, you know, surrounding myself with good people. And yeah, it's just one of those things. Yeah. Well, you obviously mentioned it there. That tackle um, at Shrewsbury, Sam Easton. Obviously, yeah. from the stands on the day, it, it looked malicious. There looked to be kind of a bit of intent there. Yeah, um, there was. <laughs> yeah, did he apologise? Did he? Did he? Not ever... straight away. No, not, not straight away. And I was, I was determined every time we played Shrewsbury that I was going to get a red card without without foul. That he, the way I used to see it, that he cost me thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds, <laughs> really. But in the end, I uh, I managed to see him when I made I played for the England seaside, and. Who walked through the door? Sam Aston. <laughs> so, yeah. And he just went, I've not seen you in ages. And he said, I just wanted to apologise. And he did apologise in the end. So, uh, there's no there's no harm, no foul there now. Was that just something in the game? Or was there, was there something prior to that? I don't know. What kind of... Why did he make that tackle? It was, it was a bit of, a, a, bit of a, a naughty game, really. There was a lot of tackles flying in from the first whistle. But we were winning 1-0. And I was holding the ball up in the corner just time-wasting, really. And he just came over and just took my standing leg clean out. I remember it clearly as as day, as like today, because my dad was sat dead opposite me when I was holding the ball. And I remember him jumping over the little fence that they had and the stewards grabbing him. And I, I remember it. And then, obviously, I ended up going back to the hospital and, and I, I broke my leg. Uh, you mentioned there that, obviously, you think it had quite a, a big impact on your career long-term. But let's talk about it in the in the short term. So, that next season, you only play, I think, about 16 games. So, it's obviously having an effect. But what, what is it like in that season? Is it Are you trying to get yourself back on? Is it, you know, how, yeah, how big was, a problem I is work, it causing? I work really hard because uh, the, the, the little complications I had with, with my leg and, to be fair... Uh, Nige did an unbelievable job uh, for me. Um, he he told me what I had to do, what I, what I, the the goals that I was set, and it took a while for me to get back to like full fitness again. But um, I managed to get there, and and the, like the rest is history, really. Yeah, and obviously you mentioned that tackle there kind of cost you the move to Newcastle potentially. Um, did, did that have an impact kind of mentally as well knowing that you obviously had to come back from this really bad injury and then potentially that move was, was off the cards No, I still, had, I still had a point to proof I didn't think that I, with what I'd achieved so far it's going to, I, I thought I had a point to prove that I can, I can still make a difference so I was determined when, when people tell me I can't do something it, even now it, it spurs me to make sure I can do it so I was one of those, and because it it potentially cost me uh, a move to the big league, um, it just it spurred me on to try and try and work hard and and develop my body, make it stronger, uh, and that's what I did. Mm. And so obviously we're into that 2001-2002 season now, uh, and and again it's sort of a supporting role in the team really that's part of the tackle but I think as well we've got Peter Birgery and Lee Hodges on either side, so that either side, yeah, yeah, so that so would probably. You- 
impact the, the game time as well. Yeah, because we had the the forwards, the, the number nines at the time. We had Martin Carruthers scoring goals. Quayley was scoring goals. Uh, I don't know if Guy was still there, but he was scoring goals. And then obviously you had Torps. So to put myself in that bracket, I'd have been probably third, maybe fourth in line behind those. And then obviously Oji came from a, a good background on West Ham. Unbelievable footballer. And then you had Biggs who could chop the shit out of you. So it's one of them. What was it like having Biggs? Because obviously as fans, it, we were a bit taken aback when he dropped down from, I know Bradford had been relegated from the Premiership that season, but he, he obviously dropped down right to the basement division. You know, as fans, we couldn't quite believe it. What was it like as players? It was a character, I'll give you that. Um, it, yeah, it was definitely a character. But yeah, as a, as a player, you obviously know what he's about and you've seen what he used to do like at Everton and stuff like that. He was, he was good. So I, I had someone else to challenge myself with. Obviously, Hodgie was a total different player. Hodgie was 100 mile an hour all the time. In whatever he did, he was 100 mile an hour. So it was, to be to be like them, I had to step up my own game myself. Uh, I think one of your uh, one of your last games was, of course, that the 1-0 win uh, at Hull, the Mark Jackson free kick. Uh, you obviously playing that game. Um, how, how did you feel that one? And how did you feel about the whole games in general? I remember playing against Hull the first time. Uh, when I was, I think I was 17, maybe, in 90, 97, maybe 98, uh, one of the fans spat at me. I remember it clear, clear as day. And that was when I realised what the games against Hull are actually like. Um, but that game where Jacko scored that free kick, I got, um, it's, it says on all the Wikipedia pages that I only made 80-odd appearances for Scunny. But that was my 100th appearance for Scunny that day because I've got a little memorabilia thing for it. And, uh, I remember him scoring and we were all going crazy. And I remember we booted the home the home dressing room door in as we walked in the, after the end of the game. And that caused like a little ruckus, so that was quite good. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that one. Obviously, that summer, um, you leave the club. Was, it, was that a mutual decision or did you want to stay? Uh, I wanted to stay, but the contract I got offered wasn't what I wanted. I'd have played for free. Uh, I, I made that perfectly clear at the time that I would have played because I love the game of football I would have played the game for absolutely nothing but he offered me a three month rolling contract and I thought I deserved more than that from what happened over the previous two seasons I thought I'd give my all for that for, for Scunny and unfortunately I, I, I wasn't prepared to do a three month rolling contract What was the reasoning behind that? Was it the, your injuries? or? Yeah that's what he said he said because of how the leg was and how my game had changed, because I'd gone from being uh, a dynamic player where I was just bombing past people uh, to becoming an actual number nine, because I, 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 they said that I had to get stronger. So I did, for the 10 months I was off, I had to do, I did loads of weights and I, I just became really like bulky. So it was, I went from being a dynamic forward to a bruiser. I went, I basically turned into John Gale, but a smaller version. <laughs> Uh, I think then obviously we've covered a, a lot of your time here, so I think maybe just to to draw us to a close, is there um can you sum up your time at Scunthorpe United? Maybe some of your your, your favourite memories and things like that, and and what the club means to you. Oh, the, the the club still holds a massive part of of my my growing up really. Um, the people I met, the 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 family, Pat and Stu, who I first lived with in Diggs, they looked after me like a like a mum and dad. 
Uh, and then when I first broke into the first team, I moved in with the Ridses. Uh, Lee Ridley and Stephen Ridley. Obviously, Lee broke into the first team and left back after I left. But, you know, um, I, I've got fond memories of Scunthorpe. Henry Africus was always a favourite of mine <laughs> towards the end. Um, but, yeah, I've still got a lot of friends. I still speak to Gravesy, um, Lee Eric. I still speak to all those kind of play, uh, people over there. And, um, yeah, it, it's... It's a massive part of my life, so I'll never forget it. And that's a good place to end there. Gareth, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate this. No time. No problem. And thank you very much for listening to this. And we'll see you on the next In Conversation episode. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.